For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome in again, everybody. It is the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Pats 4-6, and 27-20 loss to the Texans. Second straight year they've lost to Houston, and this one may have cost them a chance at the playoffs entirely. They're hanging on in the in-the-hunt column of your television screen, but uh, they, they're in the hunt, but they don't really feel like they're in the hunt, so... You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can follow me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. You can follow our producer, Aaron Wells, search for him. And then Doug Flutie, our co-host, CFL Hall of Famer, former Patriots quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, is on both Twitter and Instagram. You can follow him at Doug Flutie. As always, the podcast brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online is the only place to get your NFL wagering done for the rest of the year. And with more places putting restrictions in place, less fans at games, more time for you to be at home and do that in-game betting. Also, less time to go out, therefore more disposable income, therefore you hit it big for the holiday seasons. Just do it responsibly. That's all we ask. BetOnline.ag. Aaron, to the podcast. What you're about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now it's your host, me, Brady Farkas, and Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, and former Patriots quarterback, Doug Flutie. All right, welcome in. It is the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. As always, welcoming in. Our co-host, former Patriots quarterback, Doug Flutie. Doug, how are you? Doing all right. Hanging in there down in Florida, being a bum. You're doing well. You were surfing the other day during the game. You DVR'd the Patriots game. Good decision, by the way, not watching that mess live. I I tell you what, we've had a lot of wind down here. It's been messy and choppy. It's been big, but choppy. And all of a sudden, the wind calmed down and it cleaned up nice. I hit the DVR and went out for a while. Had to do it. Good for you. You missed a disgusting game. Two and the, the Patriots lose to a two and seventeen that had only beaten the Jaguars. Like the Texans had only beaten the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Patriots lost to them. And they were down double digits for a decent portion of that game too. That was frustrating from that standpoint. It looked, I'll tell you what, offensively came out looking good. Uh, great play calling in the first half, I thought, and then defensively could not shut down the Houston. Basically, Watson. Moving around, throwing the ball all over the field was the difference in the game. Just, I, I got questions about play calling. I got questions about game plan. We'll get to all that. But first, we are on the eve of Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. And Doug and Aaron, let me be the first to wish you happy Thanksgiving also. Doug, favorite Thanksgiving uh, traditional meal? What's on the Flutie household uh, menu? It's definitely the, the turkey. Uh, usually, my wife might... She was used to ham growing up, so we get we yeah. get both. We get both turkey and ham. Uh, a corn casserole that my aunt Ruth started fifty to seventy years ago that has gone through the family. So that's kind of a traditional dish. But uh, the family comes over, we just have a big old Thanksgiving, and the traditional Thanksgiving was all my classmates from the class of eighty one. 
always went to the uh, high school field and played a touch football game in the morning. Now, as I understand it, in Massachusetts, it's so weird. Like, is it the big rivalry game Thanksgiving weekend? Like, you have the state playoffs first and then arrive like an extra game? Is that what happens? Yeah, it got uh, in the old days. It was the last regular season game, and then. Okay. The state, there was really no playoff. There was a Super Bowl. The top two teams go and play. And so it was your traditional Thanksgiving Day game. Now they cut the schedule down. Everybody gets a trophy. So half the teams get to go to the playoffs. And so they cut down the time, too, of the Thanksgiving Day game because these teams have to play too many games. So let's get a running clock and keep it down. They We used to extend the clock on Thanksgiving Day and make it a longer game. And it was great. We loved Thanksgiving Day was a big used to be a big deal. Now it's meaningless. Yeah, in New York, Thanksgiving weekend was state championship weekend. So I'm like, how does Massachusetts do this? Whereas there's this extra game just thrown into the schedule. I was always amazed by that. I, it amazed me because I knew they started the playoffs earlier because they started inviting more teams to the playoffs and playing those playoff rounds before Thanksgiving. And it never really struck me how that influenced your thing. Your Thanksgiving Day game becomes meaningless. Yeah. And it, and it kind of gets in the way. So they keep a running clock or they shorten it down. And uh, yeah, the kids just want to play football. And it used to be a huge ride. We had, we had like 15,000 people my senior year at Thanksgiving Day game. Did you play it at the Patriots Stadium? Is that where it got played? No, we played those at our, our regular stadiums. Oh, wow. But it's, it's, it's a traditional weekend where everybody, it's like a homecoming. Everybody's home visiting. So everyone would go to the Thanksgiving Day game. It would start at 10 o'clock in the morning. So they get home for, for dinner and have you know, the mid-afternoon meal. So everybody, it was like one big class reunion for everyone. So you get thousands of people to come to the Thanksgiving Day game. Now, my old co-host, before I started this job, my old radio co-host played at Milton High School, which I think, isn't that your rival in high school? It wasn't a rival, but yes, they were in our, in our league and in our division. We played them every year, and uh, they, were t they were never very good in football, but they gave yeah. it fits because they ran this wing tee thing with a lot of counter <laughs> and just ran the ball well. And in fact, my first start as a sophomore, my brother was the senior captain starting quarterback. We made a change. I took over quarterback, and he moved to receiver. Oh, my God. How did that go over at the Thanksgiving dinner? It was great. It was fine because both of us stayed on the field the entire game. And in the first game, I uh, threw three interceptions in the first half and had a fumble. And the coaches are scratching their head about what they did. But then in the second half, we lit it up. I threw a bunch of touchdowns <laughs> to my brother, and we went that way the rest of the way. Well, you've got some good history playing around Thanksgiving. It was just the anniversary a couple of days ago of the Hail Mary pass to Gerard Phelan. We talked about that in the last podcast. I'll get to the CFL stuff in a minute. Did you ever play on Thanksgiving in the NFL? I tried to find that. I do not. I don't think so. I, I, I don't remember any, you know, I'm old. I forget things. <laughs> I don't think we did. No, uh, I never. The only real opportunity might have been when I was in Chicago, but I didn't land on Thanksgiving. Now you play. Now the Grey Cup is always right around Thanksgiving, right? So you played, as I, by my calculation, was it three Grey Cup championships, one in Calgary, two in Toronto, or are there more that I'm forgetting? That's correct. We played. Um, I played in four total Grey Cups, went three and one in Grey Cups, three championships. And um, they were, I'll tell you what, you could not tell me it was any different from winning a Super Bowl. The way, this, <laughs> the, way the country viewed the Grey Cup, the way the teams felt, the anticipation, the parties, you know, that the, the fans ran during the week and all the – the emotion involved in that week and winning a championship, it's, it's second to none. It was amazing. It was a great feeling. And uh, 
you know, those are special times for me. They really were. Was it, what was it? So the, the gray cup in Calgary was the first one you were on. That was like 92 or so. So that was kind of just a few years after you left the, left the States. What was it like winning the first one versus winning a couple later? Yeah. The first one was huge. It was my first real championship. And the, the game that was a difference was the week before playing. I was playing for Calgary uh, we we're playing Edmonton and Calgary on a bitter cold night with the wind blowing all over the place. And we yeah. had to go like 88 yards into the 35 mile an hour wind with a minute to go and no timeouts. And we went the length of the field, scored and uh, went to the first Grey Cup for me. And then at the Grey Cup, we lit it up. I mean, we only won like 24 to 10, but we were up 24 nothing. And we threw for like 600 yards passing, 500 and something. It was... Um, it was one of those days where everything went right. Well, it feels like then the Houston Texans. So uh, the Texans beating the Patriots 27-20. Aaron, let's get to the uh, overall takeaway sounder. Uh, Aaron's having a little trouble. That's all right. That's fine. I'll get, I'll get it. No problem. Um, before we get to really the overall takeaways, Doug, it really hurts me even more because the Patriots lost a golden opportunity to get right back in the thick of things. I mean, Las Vegas lost. The Patriots have the tiebreaker over them. Baltimore lost. Patriots have a tiebreaker over them. And Miami lost, who the Patriots are going to see later. So not only did they lose, they lost a chance to pick up a game on three teams ahead of them. What an opportunity. Um, and the way they had been playing, you thought, yeah, here's some momentum going. They're playing a team that's two and seven. This is going to continue to go. And once you start to believe you've got that shot, it's momentum's a tough thing. When you lose games in a row, it's tough to stop that streak. When you start winning, it breeds winning. So a lot of high expectations going into this week, into this game, and that's what makes it so much more frustrating. It makes it so frustrating, again, because they had chances to get it done. As far as I'm concerned, my overall takeaway, number one, is this loss is on the defense. We love to talk about Cam. We love to talk about play calling with Josh McDaniels, and that's part of it as far as I'm concerned. But, I mean, the secondary was just atrocious. Deshaun Watson completed passes to nine different receivers. The team missed tackle after tackle. Texans were 5 of 11 on third down. Like, I can go all and on and on and on down the list. This one's on the defense as much as we usually like to pin it on the offense. Yeah. I just rewatched the game again a few hours ago, and there's no pressure on the quarterback. If yeah. Deshaun Watson was able to move, slide, buy time, guys are going to get open. Now, he stuck some seam routes in there. Drew some one-on-one routes, hit balls, no doubt about it. The DBs got beat. Um, but the best pass defense is a pass rush, a four-man pass rush that can get to the quarterback and hit the quarterback. If you have to bring extra, now you're leaving guys one-on-one -on -one all over the field, and big plays are going to happen eventually. But there was, there was no pass rush, and I don't know if it's that they were afraid of Watson taking off and running and just trying to push the pocket, but they just weren't getting home. Well, it's two things on that note. We talked last week about how quarterbacks want to get rid of the ball in 2.5 seconds or less. Deshaun Watson held on to the ball for an average of 3.3 seconds on Sunday. So he's getting almost a full second more, and that full second just allowed him to sit, bounce, scan, read one, read two, read three, open. Like, there, yeah. you're right. There's nothing there. That's the difference. You, know, you talk about holding the ball over three seconds, and – uh, I know to the average person, three seconds doesn't seem like a lot, but that extra second of movement and sliding, um, it just allows everything to break. Over. And not only that, when you move out of the pocket or move up into the pocket now, your vision opens up. 
when the defensive ends get past you and you have a chance to move and really see the field, you don't need a guy open by much because now you're in a position that's like seven on seven and you're just, you're just shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, that's to be able to hold on the ball, the over three seconds on a consistent basis. Uh, you're not going to hold up on the back end. I was really frustrated with the game plan because so I went back and I looked at everything. Last week against Lamar Jackson, the Patriots barely blitzed him at all. They just said, we're not going to let you run. We're going to sit back. We're going to dare you to be accurate with the ball and pass. And he couldn't do it. The weather played into it a bit. They did the exact same thing against Deshaun Watson. He is good enough to sit back there and beat you and scan. Why the di- I understand they're both mobile quarterbacks, but one can beat you with his arm. One can't. Why the same game plan? Uh, you know, that's that you got to talk to Bill about that. But I, I guess you have success with something. You try to stay with it. Also, if you're worried about your one on one coverage in the back end, then you're just going to go with your four man rush and, and cover what the Patriots like to do, especially in the red zone on third down is bracket people. They will double team, try to take away the number one receiver and the second threat. Maybe it's the tight end. Maybe it's the back. Then it's up to the quarterback to find the one-on-one guy on those third down plays. Um, you know, like I said, the best the best defense, best pass defense is a good pass rush out of your front four. Do you have to bring – and when the game was on the line, the Texans brought pressure yes. on Cam the last two plays and forced him to throw hot. In fact, let me get into that a set. Um, the, you know how I talk about drifting away from the unblocked guy and throwing to the opposite side? Yep. Well – on third down, they, they brought the extra rusher from the front side. Cam saw it, stepped into the throw, threw his slant. The unblocked guy bats the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, J.J. Watt probably batted it, but yep. the unblocked guy's coming. That's the side he's throwing through. So you, you do the correct thing from an offensive game plan standpoint is here's the blitz. I see it. I throw hot. I'm throwing that slant. Ball gets batted. Fourth down play. Now the blitz comes from the opposite side. It comes from the weak side. Yeah. Again, Cam this time had a slant route that was open on that side, chooses not to go or throw hot. Maybe he didn't see the hot that way and moved in the pocket, trying to buy extra time to get a throw up the field. If you go the other route, if you drift away from the blitzer on the right side, we had uh, the Patriots had an out route, a short out that was going to be open and an easy throw. If you drift away from it on the second one, you're throwing the fade route to the wide side of the field. So, I just, you know, it's it's difficult. Uh, that's the stuff that I don't think Cam's great at is the actual reading your hot, going to your hot receiver stuff. He's better at give me a throw, protect me, and let me go to this area. So Doug Flutie would have done, based on what you've said, blitz is coming from the weak side. You would have let it come, just kind of roll a little bit, drift a little bit, throw it off your back foot and throw it up, and you probably have single coverage somewhere. Exactly. The first time it would have been an easy throw. The first time would have been drifting to my left away from the blitz on the right. Yep. And there was an out route right in front of him out of the slot that would have been a six-yard completion pretty easily. The second one would have been drift away from it again, but the only throw he had front side there was one-on-one fade route to the wide side of the field. You put it up and give your receiver a shot. Um, And that you beat blitz with your arm. You know, I talk about drifting – the drifting and all that, the stuff that Kyler Murray can do, yeah. Patrick Mahomes can do, that's buying you an extra half a second in a blitz situation to allow your receiver to get open. But you still got to beat the blitz with your arm. You, you have to know that there's unblocked people. The ball's got to go. 
where's my matchup? Where's the guy I want to pick and stay with him and deliver a ball that gives your guy a chance? You know, what really frustrates me going back to the lack of Patriots pressure is Houston had two starting offensive linemen out. Laramie Tunzel is their best offensive lineman. He doesn't play. They get another guy. Their left guard is out. The entire left side is new, and yet the Patriots still don't bring pressure. Even if you wanted to do the same game plan as last week, doesn't it change once you realize, hey, their two starting linemen on the entire left side on, on Watson's weak side are not playing? I think that's the situation. And again, you know, I am not going to question Bill Belichick defensively. I, I, he's, he knows a heck of a lot more defense than I've ever uh, thought to know. Uh, but that's where you start mugging guys up. You put a guy in the gap, make that left tackle decide, do I have to go down on the inside guy and let the free rusher go? Guys get up there and, and pull back out and try to get them to think. You want to make guys that aren't used to playing full time think first, you know, what is their responsibility? Um, and that's something the Patriots will see this week out of Arizona. Arizona will bring everybody up into the mix yeah. and bail out and pull and, and try to confuse the quarterback. Whether Where's the blitz coming from? You know, we talk about sometimes how hard it is for the Patriots offense to generate big plays. Houston's offense had seven plays of 20 yards or more. They had seven plays of 20 yards or more. Like you talk about big shots down the field, big chunks of yardage. That's what Houston made a living with on Sunday. You know, I, I go back to the first couple were seam routes. Like Deshaun Watts, he pulled it, he hit his back foot on time, bang, stuck some seam routes in there that were pretty, pretty throws. And then there, there were others where he moves by sometimes, hit the crossers, actually hit a play action crosser uh, going right to left up the field. So, a lot of that is is accuracy down the field. And, again, it goes back to us talking about uh, the ball nat- just naturally spinning it out of your hand with touch, putting it over a linebacker level and dropping it and things like that. Uh, you know, re- There were a handful of times where receivers were wide open, but those are plays that Watson was able to hang on the ball that extra second. Yeah. Hmm. You know, one guy he targeted was Jonathan Jones. Jonathan Jones, when targeted – Watson was eight for 10 when going at him as a defensive back. When you're the quarterback, how do you go about picking on a member of the other team's secondary? Like how, who, who are you choosing? How often are you going there? What are you doing? Especially in the NFL, it's all about matchups. You know, I've talked about when we used to get Gronk matched up on a safety or you're back yep. out of the backfield on a line. So when you find a matchup to go to, you want to wear it out. And the difficult part is you still have a progression and a read, but when you know it's man coverage, bang, you go to your matchup. When it's zone, you got to go through a read and a progression. When it's man to man, the number one thing, and if it's third down, you there's the potential of guys bracketing receivers two on one. So you got to find the single coverage. When you find single coverage, there's your matchup. There's the guy you want to go to. When you have a single high safety and it's single coverage on both sides, it's your matchup and you want to go there. It's tough to draw up plays just to get to it, hmm. but it's up to the quarterback to read through and know when that guy's one-on-one. And if you have – I think I've said it before in our podcast. I finally, against an Edmonton defense that used to give me fits in Canada, I finally found a formation where I got my matchup, and that was my tailback on the middle linebacker. Hmm. And I ran that formation eight plays in a row and called the same wow. darn play – eight straight times and we completed eight and we were in the end zone see it feels like it would be easy to generate that matchup like i'm just gonna put my best like in my mind i'm playing madden i'm gonna put oh your slot corners weak my best receiver is going in the slot and i'm making him line up across from you 
it's not that easy, apparently. It, it's it's tricky because you can bracket that guy, especially in a slot. It's easier to bracket. If he's a wide receiver, you can roll the safety over the top, which is the other guy one-on-one. And I've said this before, uh, a common thing to do in the NFL, and Bill Belichick started this back with the Jets, was put your best defensive back on the number two receiver, your second best defensive back on the number one receiver with safety help. So you could leave the other guy on an island and just, you know, Revis is over there shutting down. This guy's going to get double. So uh, there's things you can do, but it also can take you out of your blitzes and certain things you want to do defensively. You know, something uncharacteristic of the Patriots is they weren't very good in situational football the other day. Five of 11 on third down was Houston. Houston, three of four scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And I was listening to Ted Johnson, former Patriots linebacker, say like situationally, they're just very, very middle of the pack. That's not a Bill Belichick hallmark. Like his thing is being good. Like you, you might get 60 yards in the middle of the field, but you're not getting in the end zone. And the Patriots are allowing that to happen this year more regularly than usual. Yeah, I think it comes down to a blitz package on third down. I really, I, I you gotta, you saw, I just pointed out the Texans did it when the game was on the line, third and fourth down, medium yardage. They blitz. They turn yeah. and trust your defensive backs to hold up. And at some point, you've got to just say, hey, let's get the ball out of that quarterback's hands and trust the DBs to hold up on the back end. Gilmore being back, I thought was a big deal. I thought he played well. I thought he came up and hit. Um, so you've got to hold up on the other side. And, uh, you know, when you blitz, you got to hold up for 1.6 seconds and you're going to get home. I love, by the way, speaking of Gilmore hitting, totally off topic, I love watching a big DB that can just thump. <laughs> Jalen Ramsey laid a hit on Mike Evans yesterday in the red zone that I was like, that's a hit. And yeah. Evans just dropped or Evans was just dropped. And then Evans scored on the next play, bowling over three guys in his own right. But watching Jalen Ramsey just thump Mike Evans, I was like, that's a hit from a DB. Yeah, I see that. And a lot of the corners used to get bad raps about, uh, you know, they didn't like the tackle. They don't want to, especially the weak side corner, weak side corner. I just want to be locked up one-on-one -on -one over here and cover my man. I'm, I'm elite. You know, let me cover. Yeah. But the hits the, the, the I, I must've cringed five times in that game and <laughs> said, thank God I'm not playing anymore. I, I just, <laughs> I see guys at die, full tilt legs taken out guys with big collisions. I, Maybe as you get older, you get a little wimpy and, and realize, <laughs> I don't know. You know, my number two takeaway on this is I don't want to absolve the coaching staff either of some blame because we've, we have developed and seen the formula for the Patriots, right? It's not the best formula, but it's their formula. Run the ball and churn up clock and get yards that way and be methodical down the field. Camp threw it 40 times. Patriots ran at 24. Where is where is a nearly two-to-one throw-to-run ratio going to benefit this team? They got away from their game plan, and this one also gets me. Damian Harris runs it five times on the opening drive, six more times the rest of the game. They just abandoned their best offensive player. Well, what happened was, and I agree, I mean, the first half was a great mix. They, they came out the first couple of drives and made it look easy. Um, I think scored – Scored they scored 10 points on three yeah. on their first three possessions. Yeah. And so they were running the ball well, but when they get behind, they they first of all, teams are going to play a lot of man coverage, get the extra safety up there and try to stop the run against Cam because Cam's a runner himself and that's the threat. Shut down the run, make him beat you with the downfield passing game on the outside. So 
late, you know, as they got behind, they got to start throwing the football to catch up. And, and they weren't, they actually tried to run the ball a handful of times, had some minus runs. I'm just picturing in my head. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, but then, you know, when, and I, I say this all the time, you run the ball to stay close. You run the ball to take some pressure off your offensive line. But when it comes time to win the game, you've got to be able to throw the ball. And Cam was, uh, they had thrown in that last drive, marching down the field when the game was on the line. They, they had thrown seven straight times and got in scoring position, went right down the field. Now, they didn't convert on third and fourth down. Uh, they did finally slip a run in there, increase it for about eight yards, I believe. Um, but it's, it's that fine line between when is it time that we have to score or are we still playing that field position, ball control, it's okay if we get stuff. But I think what happened was a few negative runs put them in – you. The bottom line was the penalties. I, I, I yeah. just coming back to it, which puts you at a down a distance and didn't allow them to run the ball on a number of times. I don't know how many holding penalties. There were seven total penalties, I think, in the game for the Patriots, which definitely, you're right, was bad. It just frustrates me that the thing the Patriots do best, they didn't do, run the football, and the one thing Houston could do to beat them, which was Deshaun Watson going crazy, they let happen. So, like, the Texans won strength, won out over the Patriots, won strength. And that frustrates me. But it all kind of goes back to what you said last week. You can win with the Patriots formula, but your margin of error is very, very small. They had several long, they had a 16 play drive that netted 10 minutes that ended in a field goal. You have to convert touchdowns when you're going to play the way they do. I think that was a big difference in the game, too. No doubt about it. And that's, you know, what we talk about when you're when you're a nickel and dime passing, when you're not the downfield passing. Uh, it's run the ball, eat up clock, play action, cam running the ball. How do we convert first down? Convert first downs, convert, convert. Con and all of a sudden it's a 16 play drive. You're only going to have three or four, four possessions a half. Yeah. You've got to make the most of those and, and come away with points. No matter what though, by doing that, even when they come away with a few, you're going to be in a one possession game. And that's what it came down to. It came down to a one-possession game, but the Patriots are trailing and had to go do it at the end against a two and seven team. You know, Aaron, against a two and seven team, there there was no threat that the Patriots are ever going to win by seventeen. You know, blow. There's yeah. never. It's not going to be a Patriot blowout. Aaron's got a question. He kind of sent us in here on the chat. He wants to know from you, Doug. In the second half, they largely handed the ball off to their scat backs. A lot of handoffs to James White, like. James White's not a through-the-tackles runner. He's not my first choice to run the ball. Why is James White in a position to get so many hand handoffs? Is it just because formationally they like something they saw? I think what happened was Burkhead got hurt. Yes, terrible. Oh, Which, uh, which kind of changes that dynamic where it's a little more white on run situation as well. But you want to get him the ball in space. You want to – you you know, we've – We've seen what he does well. He runs routes out of the backfield, get him in space, and let him be quick and agile. Um, I don't know. A lot of times you're in a run-pass check at the line of scrimmage, and the defense that lines up in front of you dictates whether or not I'm handing the ball off or we're throwing it. You know, If there's two high safeties and it's first or second down, we're going to check back to the run, hand the ball off, and see if we can't crease it for five to eight yards. My third takeaway is Cam played well. I, I think Cam played well. He did have some passes that were errant, not in the sense that they were way off, but there were some 
opportunities for catching runs that he made some bad balls that guys, instead of getting 14 yards, end up with six. There were some imperfect passes, but by and large, I thought he played well. 365 yards passing. He <laughs> hit eight different receivers. Nikhil Harry was involved. Demir Bird was involved. The ball district, I liked the way Cam threw the ball the other day overall. I, I did too. Overall, you know, you can't complain with his, his completion percentage. Um, a couple of big third and 10 conversions on comeback routes on the outside. Again, it looks like it's it's painful to watch him try to throw that ball sometimes mm. for me because of the, I don't know, a little herky-jerky or tight in his throwing motion. But he was on the money and he was drilling some shots. I, I'm picturing an in route. I'm picturing a couple of comebacks. Um, even the, but, you know, and you and I were texting at the time, the post he threw for the touchdown, right? Biggest play of the game, beautiful, long touchdown pass. Finally, touchdown pass to a wide receiver on a post yeah. with no safety help. He could have made it easier on himself if he had thrown it across the field and just let him run. Instead, the ball was over the top and Bert made an unbelievable adjustment to the ball and a beautiful catch for the touchdown. So, yeah, Cam played well. Cam played great. He, pl he plays hard every week. I don't have a complaint with that. Sometimes it's just frustrating that there's just – they have to focus on the things he does well, and this is what he does well, and it's going to be methodical football. You know what? You have said about his arm, you know, you thought maybe earlier in the year he had a bit of an injury. Where it really kind of clicked for me on Sunday was – that Hail Mary he threw at the end of the game, I don't know where they were exactly. They were probably at about their own 40. There's no pass rush. He's able to step into it. He threw that ball only down to about the 10-yard line. Like, he only got about 50 yards on that throw. He didn't even get it to the end zone. I got to think that most NFL quarterbacks with nobody there stepping into it are at least throwing it 60 yards, and Cam couldn't do it. I'm uh, sitting on the couch with my son-in-law watching it. He's yelling and screaming at the TV set. And I'm like, he should be able to reach the end zone from here, but I don't know if Cam can. Hmm. I said, what he's got to do is buy some time, run all the way up to the line of scrimmage, and he might be able to get it there. Um, he did a great job of letting the pest rush go by him and step up through, but he could have gone forward another five to seven yards up to the line of scrimmage before turning it loose. And he did only throw it like 50. I, th I thought in my head I, I counted that out to about 53 yards. Okay. I'm 58 years old. I can throw the ball 53 yards. Oh. You and know, um, it just – it's it's something about the angle of the throw that I think bothers his – when he has to dip that back shoulder and launch, it's a little different. And, um, you know, most NFL quarterbacks – I mean, I was a very average to – for NFL quarterbacks, probably on the weaker side of an arm. When I was playing in the NFL, I could throw at 65. Wow. I mean, and given the size discrepancy between you and Cam, he should be able to have 10 <laughs> yards on you. Like, he should be able to throw at 75 yards then at that yeah. rate. Yeah. I mean, I said I said right then to my, my son-in-law sitting on the couch, I'm like, they should put Stidman in to throw this Hail Mary. Mm -hmm. put, a, yeah. you know, put, put him in and just let him launch. Um but, you know, Cam did a great job of what he did. He moved. He let the pass rush go by. He stepped up, had a clean lane, and took his time and, and launched. But it just his, his lower back looked tight. His shoulder looks tight the way he throws. And that's – I don't know that that's been his throwing motions in his entire career or not. And, you know, we're picking about one play. We're picking a, about a Hail Mary here. Yeah. But, um, you know, he did play great. He played a great game. He plays – he gets everything he can out of himself. And he puts the Patriots in a position to have a chance.
you know, it's not popular either, but I was thinking about this the other day. The money aspect has to matter here. Money matters in everything. Cam's making $1 million. Like, he is outperforming his contract. Like, you don't have to love where they're at, but, like, he he is outperforming his contract by a wide margin, and that's really all you can ask of any player is to live up to and exceed their contract. I guess, I guess so when you look at it that way. When I look at it, I look at his Cam as a guy that – to be a league MVP type of guy yeah. and that is dynamic. And he has been at times, um, but also he's going to make some incentives, I'm sure. So it'll be over and above the million. But, uh, you know, when you put it that way, the Patriots are coming out ahead with, you know, the contract. You know what I loved about it too is that, so I got a bunch of stats in front of me. I'm trying to say this as simple as possible. Last week against Baltimore, Cam averaged four and a half yards per attempt in the air. That was it. He was throwing the ball less than five yards on average. Part of it's because of the weather. Obviously, weather was bad. Last week against Houston, he was eight of eight passes 10 yards or more down the field. So they made an effort to throw the ball 10 yards or more down the field, whereas the week before they didn't do anything. I mean, he threw the ball last week, barely passed the line of scrimmage. This week gets the ball down the field. I got to imagine it's easier to throw in a dome, obviously, but at least he threw the ball down the field. Yeah, the weather, I'm sure, had had a lot to do with that, but I, I was impressed with a couple of his comeback routes he threw on the outside. Now, you know, Cam has a tendency to wait a fraction of a second, let the guy break, and then try to gun that line drive out there. But he completed a couple of really nice comebacks, one of them where he really couldn't set his feet, just kind of wheeled and threw it out there. Uh, so he made some throws that he hasn't been making this year uh, in this game. And then, you know, topped that off with a Hail Mary that bounced around and got caught. So uh, his downfield passing was much improved. They have shown me that they can win with these average undersized receivers. Bird is good enough. Myers is good enough. They need one guy who diverts attention because I just think Jacoby Myers and Bird, they can play in the NFL, but they don't need to be number ones. Like they need one. What you played with Eric Moulds. That's always the guy you go to. What is that one guy who's a big physical presence who blows the top off a of defense? What does that guy do for everybody else? I mean, it just, you know, if he's one on one, I'm going there. If he is one-on-one, I'm going there. The defense knows that too. So what are they going to do? They're going to bracket him on third down. They're going to double him as much as possible. They're going to put the safety to his side. And now your other wide receiver is probably just the one-on-one guy as well as a back or a tight end. They can only double one other guy or have help help with one other guy. So you're going to – two out of your other three guys are going to have one-on-one matchups and should win. And in any – I mean, in any NFL practice, you go over there and you're running one-on-one routes against DBs, it should be like 99% completions because there's no safety help. The quarterback has as long as he wants to throw. So when you know a guy's one-on-one, you should win, and you should be putting the ball in a position for that guy. And and, and Myers and Bird are good enough to win. But I think you're right. We need, they need a dynamic guy that dictates coverage. I mean, I think like what Stephon Diggs has done in Buffalo for Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley's good on his own, but Stephon Diggs being there, like we talked about, opens up so much for him underneath, and he becomes a big threat for them. Agreed. No doubt about it. And uh, what did he make a ridiculous one-handed catch? What was that conversion? It was a third down conversion on two weeks ago. I'm just picturing oh, against, Yeah, yeah, against yeah, Arizona. But, yeah, he's quick as a cat. He's your typical slot guy that's going to wiggle and get open and all that, but – He's not going to get the safety over his head as much 
as they're worried about the outside receiver burning them deep on the post. So you run the post clear, safety's gone. There's a lot of space on that side of the field. He's running in and out. He'll run a corner route for his big play or up the seam, but doesn't have to line up on, you know, those guys don't have to line up wide and beat a tough corner one-on-one. They're in on the third corner in the slot. Usually we go with what people are saying here. I'm making an executive decision to blow through that. I want to go to right to my notable um, sounder here. Um, Aaron, let's see if we can get the sounder going for notable. I might have screwed up the last time you tried to play a sounder. It might be big. It might not be. But it caught our attention. One big note from the game. Yeah, so it was my screw up the last time you tried to play a sounder. Doug, I want to ask you this. The Patriots' average starting field position was their own 23. So that was their own average starting field position. What would you consider to be, quote, good starting field position? You want to be over your own 30. I think that anytime you start from the 30 to 35 yard line, uh, I don't know. I, you know, every, there's guys out there with all the numbers and they figure everything out. Yep. But, um, it always feels like it's a momentum builder. Number one, you're walking out there with confidence. And number two, you just need a couple first downs. You're in field goal range and you're scoring points. And I, if my, if I'll tell you, if the kickoff, if the kickoff team does not fumble the ball or get a penalty, I'm happy. Right. <laughs> it's like, give me, give me the ball, just down it. Give me the ball at the 20 and let's go. I, there's so many special teams penalties on returns that, and you see it in the punt game all the time. Oh. Because, Cause guys, and the reason they do it is because they're going to get evaluated on Monday on did they get their block or not, and they feel like it's in de- it's not desperate need. Let the guy go. We'll fair catch it and just take the ball there. Don't back us up. And that's my biggest frustration with special teams. But anytime you're outside your own 20, you're fine. Uh, if you're backed up, you got that clock in your head that the ball's got to go on time, on rhythm, because you're worried about safety or being sacked back by the goal line. But once you're out by the 20, it's really irrelevant, other than the fact that if you're over the 30, it somehow gives you a lot of confidence that you're going to go score points. Okay, that was interesting because, yeah, their own 23, it didn't seem that awful, but it also didn't seem that advantageous. It just felt like they were constantly in this middle ground of, oh, here we go again, having to go on this long march down the field. I still can't get over. They, they had... I want to say four 10 plus play drives. And then their last three possessions, if you, well, I guess their last two possessions, they had the ball for 12 and a half minutes and only got a field goal. Like there again, there it again goes your small margin of error. You know, I, I was saying that to myself. Um, they need a touchdown to tie and the Patriots get the ball in their own end. And they're very methodical. They, there's four minutes to go. My, my attitude and approach was spread it out two minutes. Let's go, let it fly and get down the field. Because if, if you end up going three and out, you can still punt it and have a shot of getting the ball back. Yeah. But, but it's this grinding the clock. They even, I think, let it go down to the two minute on the front side of two minute. Yeah. Um, that this, all your eggs are in this one basket. It's this drive or not. So this is it. We're not going to get a second chance. Where if Tom Brady's at quarterback, you're being aggressive, letting it fly, and you might be three and out. But you know what? There's 345 still left on the clock. So it, it becomes where it's going to be this one drive. We've got – even if it was five minutes on the clock, we got one shot and that's it. And it's going to be a 13 to 15 play drive and, and score the touchdown at the end of the game to tie it. 
Aaron, let's go to uh, This Makes Me Want to Drink. And this is a fun edition of This Makes Me Want to Drink. The weekend's over, but the holiday's coming, so some people are about to start drinking again. So give me This Makes Me Want to Drink. The weekend is over. I thought it was time to stop drinking. I'm kind of beat. Yeah. Thank God I'm exhausted. But this makes me want to drink. I just can't. I need a drink. Give me a drink. All right, this makes me want to drink, Doug. Last or two weeks ago, I got the bag on my least favorite NFL play, tossed to the short side of the field. I've developed a new play that I hate. The Patriots ran it the other day. The Bucks ran it a couple of nights ago on uh, Monday Night Football with Brady. What is the affinity for this one? The quarterback gets the ball and immediately sprints to the right and tries to hit like a two-yard out. Look, I, I get the purpose of it. I'm really not in favor of cutting the field in half. I mean, I hate all plays that cut the field in half. All, all eggs in one basket. We're setting a pick for this guy. He's running to the flat. I'm rolling towards him. And if it's not there, there's nothing. Unless you got a Kyler Murray that reverses field and runs all over. That is called sprint right option. It's, it was made popular by uh, Bill Walsh in the 49ers with Joe Montana. It's the play that he threw Dwight Clark in the back of the end zone because he didn't have anything like he should have had, right? So he hangs on the ball, hangs on the ball. Clark works the end line, and he gets him the ball. Um, it's designed for third or fourth down and short, all-out blitz coverage. I'm going to sprint away from it. They're in man-to-man coverage, and when you're in all-out man-to-man cover zero, you've got to be inside technique. So you should have the outbreaking route to the flat. And, uh, you know, what happened on the, the Tampa Bay play was the best way to stop that is you jam the guy that's on the line of scrimmage and just shut him down. Therefore, the guy running the out can't go right away. He's yeah. got to let that guy clear, gives the DB time to stay with him, and they can fight over it. You can switch it, but then the other guy's got leverage for, for a good out, outbreaking route. So it, it's it's been around forever. It's a common blitz beater but if you don't get the blitz or if uh they they jam the heck out of the the outside receiver you're in trouble the only time that play should ever be called in my point of view is when i have my rookie quarterback that needs to get some confidence or my backup quarterback that needs to get some confidence we'll make it his first pass of the game and get him quote the confidence building (laughs) that's the only time i want to see that play I hear you. I hear you. But you know what? I And I, I'm having a flashback. My first game in San Diego. Um, actually, it was my first game with the Bills. We're playing in San Diego. Mm. I came off the bench late. I threw a touchdown pass. They score, uh, whatever. But we go down the field, and we had a third and goal from the two and a half. And they're lined up in an all-out blitz look. And that's my audible is to check to that play. Uh, I, I check to the play. In the front, they leave the nose uncovered on the center, and the guys are outside technique on the guards. So I goosed the center for the quarterback sneak and went to the – and I got stopped inches short oh. because I thought I had a clear line. I did the same thing in practice on Thursday, and the coaches, like, scratched their head. <laughs> but uh, I walked into the end zone on Thursday. I got stopped a couple inches short and ran up kicking the darn field goal. <laughs> but know- that, that, that's been a blitz beater forever. Well, my favorite play of all time, if I'm playing Madden, it was always curls. Just everybody run a curl, and we'll run a curl a bunch of times, and then I'll pump fake the curl, and you'll go long. Those are my those are my video game winning plays. You know what? Sometimes I wish NFL coaches would take that approach of keep it as simple. 
you know what? We got one-on-one over here that's run our out or our curl. And if he's starting to take stuff away, double move him and go buy him. Mm-hmm. And the game can be, it can get down to being that simple at times. It really can. But, um, you know, you, you run things with formations and you think you've got things from game plan and can we get the right coverage? And there's a lot of ifs, but um, sometimes it's, it, it does get that simple. Patriots lose to the Texans 27-20. They're now 4-6. and six. Doug and I are going to step aside here. We're going to let you enjoy your holiday. We're going to get ready for our holiday as well. So from us to you, all the listeners, happy Thanksgiving. For Aaron Wells, our producer, happy Thanksgiving. Former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie, happy Thanksgiving. I'm Brady, happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back post-holiday, hopefully out of our uh, turkey hangovers. And uh, we'll be talking Patriots and Cardinals. Doug, later. Aaron, later. Talk to you guys soon. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.